listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. It is, as always, an honor and a joy to bring the Word of the Lord to you. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about understanding spiritual strongholds, uh, understanding the role of spiritual warfare in our our individual lives, in our church, uh, in the city in which God has placed us uh, to manifest His name, uh, to manifest His heart. And so, I let me just let me start by sharing a personal story. Um, as a very young man, in my, uh, I would say even as even nine, ten years old, the thing that I was most fascinated with was um, the history of warfare. I don't know why exactly I was fascinated with that, but uh, truly, in the same manner that uh, some kids are fascinated with superheroes or dinosaurs, I was fascinated with uh, warfare, ancient, modern. Uh, I spent a lot of time poring over uh, books that told the histories, uh, showed the pictures, uh, described the equipment, and I had uh, the Lord give me an individual in those years. Um, He was my step-grandfather. I I never knew my real grandfather. Um, Somewhat of a dysfunctional family. Uh, in that regard, I, I don't ever remember receiving a birthday card from him, a, a phone call from him, uh, nothing. It was like he wasn't there. Uh, and because he wasn't there, I didn't really know to miss him. Uh, I had obviously amazing parents, and they were my whole world. Uh, uh, some, somewhere in those uh, years, those um, preteen years, uh, my grandmother uh, moved some of you know knew her. She's passed on to glory now, but she moved here. And after moving here, she met a gentleman who she proceeded to date for a very long time. And he became a substitute grandfather for me. And I am I am to this day just immensely blessed in his um, the gift of his personality to me. In fact, I would say in many ways, uh, part of who I am today is a direct result of the time I was able to spend with Gene Honeycutt. And so I'm looking forward to reuniting with him in glory. Um, why am I bringing this up? Well, he was a World War II veteran. And because World War II, World War I probably had gave me the most access to the thing I was interested in through the histories and the, the books, uh, there is actually a tremendous canon of literature um, under military history, and if you start reading everything from the encyclopedia-type gatherings of equipment and events uh, to first-person accounts, there's a lot you can learn. Well, he had served. Um, he had really, at the beginning of the war, he had uh, joined um, or been drafted. I don't remember that detail. Um, but he was a, a very good shot. Um, he, was, he scored marksman almost without trying, um, this may be have been somewhat to do with him having to survive on his own from the age of um, 11 years old up. But he, because he was such a, a gifted marksman, uh, rather than deploying him in the early years of the war, they sent him to one of the training camps where he taught marksmanship for two years. 
Uh, then he was deployed uh, in the last two years of the war, and he told me all of these stories, which were, yes, very much edited for a young mind. Uh, he did not tell me so much of the, um, the, the horrible death and misery of the war um, as far as, as some, a subject that would be inappropriate for a young man. Uh, he did not glorify the war at all. He didn't make it more exciting than it was. Um, I'll never forget. I'll never forget telling him how. Um, I, I think I'm, I'm, I, I had to have been like 10, 11 years old. And when I, he told me that he had spent two years training before he actually was deployed, uh, and he was deployed, he uh, actually marched across a lot of France, and he was at the crossing of the Rhine, uh, the Rhine, the river, and um, he. Uh, I'll never forget being just a little bit disappointed because he had spent two years training in the manner of a boy who, you know, thinks that their grandfather is Sergeant Rock or something like that. And I'll never forget him telling me that you cannot, you, you cannot underestimate the value of training uh, for war. And when, when I tried to understand that, um, he, he tried to explain to me that there's... Uh, all I remember is, I wish I had it all on, of course, a recording or something, but... Um, there's so much confusion in a battlefield, and there's such lack of knowing. All you know is you and your guys are over here, and those guys are over there, and they, they're either in a better situation than you. There's so much chaos that uh, if you don't have a basic training, you're almost just going to die from being dumb. And that's why the military sends people to boot camp and basic training and combat infantry school and all of those kind of things. Well, as I've gotten older, I've remembered some of those conversations and applied them to spiritual things. I think spiritual warfare is oftentimes so confusing um, that it's like a new believer is almost, it's almost guaranteed you're going to spend the, 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 the early years of your uh, spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity, uh, you're, you're going to spend it in many ways confused. Uh, now, unlike a physical war where you don't have a lot of opportunities to learn once you know you do something wrong um, and you lose your life, a spiritual warfare often involves the persistence of the believer. So if you are young in the Lord or you are growing in the Lord and you feel like you've made mistakes, uh, that is not uh, spiritually uh, lethal to you. Uh, you can overcome those. Why? Because the victory is not in you, it's in Jesus Christ. That said, there are much valuable things, many valuable things that we as believers need to learn um, that will empower us to be effective in the realm of, of the spiritual. Uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, I've referenced this a couple times in the last few uh, Bible studies, but in his letters to, entitled The Screwtape Letters, where an elder demon gives advice to a young demon. It's, it's an allegory, a fun allegory. He basically says there's, there's two mistakes people make with spiritual warfare. On one hand, they, they believe in it too much. They dramatize it. They make it really an expression of their personal need for the dramatic. Um, and the other error, error is not to believe in it enough, to think that it's so mystical and it's so, you know, magical and it's so something um, that you just don't really believe in it. Those are the two errors. And like so many spiritual prin principles, it's like you're walking on a road and there's ditches on both sides. And either error can put you in a ditch of, of misunderstanding, confusion, and, and hurt you, hurt your, your mission. 
we want to understand spiritual warfare biblically. Uh, we don't want to understand it dramatically. We want to understand it biblically. In fact, to understand it dramatically um, often while entertaining us pushes people that we love and care about away from faith. Um, as a young believer, and I, this isn't something that I, I've said a lot, uh, but I, I feel like in this context it would be helpful to say, as a young believer or a young person growing up in the church, um, I occasionally was exposed to people who were so dramatic in their their spirituality and they were so um, mystical in their personality tendencies and they made such big drama out of it that as a young person, I, I would be exposed to them and I would actually leave fighting for my faith because I was, there was some part of me that was like, oh, come on, really? Um, we don't want to satisfy a need in ourselves to be dramatic or to feel powerful or individually important. And so we dramatize the spiritual um, because that can lay a snare sometimes for uh, the generation behind us because they, they're figuring out what their faith is, they're figuring out what they believe, and all they're left with is, uh, no, that's crazy. We don't want to do that. But neither do we want to pretend as though it is something that is not um, of spiritual value and understanding. So really quickly, uh, I want to review a few things concerning this subject uh, biblically, because, of course, that is our goal, that is our, our path here today. Uh, to understand these things in a biblical manner. If you read the scriptures, you will be left with the sure knowledge that there is a contest that happens between the forces of good and the forces of evil. Um, If you spend any time in the scriptures, you will be left quite convinced that this is true. Uh, The enemy wars against the purposes of God. Uh, The flesh wars against the spirit. And we, as Paul would write to the church at Corinth, we walk in the flesh, but we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. Of Christ. Satan, as a spiritual force, warring against God, warring against God's people, warring against God's mission, uh, he has three, three main weapons that he will use. Uh, they are of different categories, they have different effects, and we need to be aware of them as, as resolute and biblical believers in. Uh, these spiritual uh, things. First of all, the most obvious weapon that Satan uses against people of faith is simply sin. (laughs) Simply sin. He's called the tempter for a reason because he will, he by his nature, seeks to degrade you, seeks to uh, destroy you, seeks to, in some way, Limit you from who you are in God and turn you toward the pursuit of your own lusts. This is what sin ultimately ultimately plays in our life. And Satan, as the tempter, and he's literally called that in the scripture, like for example, Matthew chapter 4, verse number 3, literally called the tempter. Um, he is he is an expert at this. And 
the reason why he's an expert is uh, he, he understands that his most effective temptation is not to convince you, but to lure you. There is within all of us already uh, predispositions toward the lust of the flesh. There is within all of us desires for the lust of the eye. There is within all of us temptations to live a life of individual pride and individual promotion and arrogance of the flesh and the spirit. Uh, These things are real, and Satan is an expert at using sin to remove us from our spiritual identity and to destroy within us our spiritual purpose. Um, One of the reasons why this is so effective is, of course, what the Bible tells us, the wages of sin are death. Now, this usage of death is not just referring to physical life, it's referring to spiritual life. Um, in fact, I, I, it is my personal belief that most of the passages in the Scripture where you talk about death um, is trying to teach us, let me clarify, when it's talking about death in terms of the consequences of sin, do you see? Uh, it is trying to teach us a spiritual truth, not necessarily a natural truth. I believe there's an element of the natural in it, but I believe that is in many ways too low rated. The, the higher form, the higher issue that is at play is a spiritual issue. And it involves uh, both separation from God's presence and isolation from eternal life in Him. Uh, that life of connection and unity, um, being reconciled to God, Uh, being returned to Him in our nature, to be face-to-face with God, to use uh, biblical image. A sin destroys that in us. Um, And it's not even something that Satan puts in us. It's already there. Uh, Satan simply arranges for reminders and creates crossroads of temptation in our life. The The second real weapon that Satan uses against people of faith to exercise spiritual warfare against them um, is somewhat different than just the idea of sin. It is this idea of the accuser. He makes accusations against you. Okay, so if in the battle of the spiritual he uses sin, what he did by doing so is he used something that was already in you which was a desire for a desire for a lust, desire for sin. He used what was already in you. When he works as the accuser, he also uses what was already in you. And that is within you is a higher drawing. There is not just the lust for sin, there's also a hunger for the spiritual. We experience this as conscience. Uh, our, if our, you know, if our conscience does not condemn us, then we have peace with God. Uh, is an example. There is within us also a review of ourselves. So on one hand, there is within us the transgressor, and on the other hand, there is within us the judge who finds our deeds despicable. Uh, one of the great uh, Russian novelists, uh, I think it was Tolstoy. And I, I'm, uh, this is almost a quote. I'm doing it from memory. I don't have it in my notes. Um, if I remember right, he has some kind of a quote that goes like this. Um, 
By morning I make resolutions, and by evening I commit folly. There is within us both the transgressor and the judge who finds the actions of the transgressor despicable. Both of these are destructive forces, and both of them, both of them in some way are transgressions against who we are and who God is. On one hand, we are the sinner. On the other hand, we are the judge. We're not, we, we shouldn't be either. You see, this is how um, the accuser talks an individual into quitting, into destroying themselves. This is how the accuser convinces Judas the world is better off without him. Uh, on one hand, he was wooing the transgressor within. On the other hand, he is provoking the judge <clears throat> Excuse me. within. In both cases, the effect upon a believer is that Satan uses something that is already resident within you that is, that is either the result of the fall or the result of the image of God. But he, he uses both of them in a wrong way. We are by nature transgressors and we are by creation aware, as the recipients of the image of God, of an internal right and wrong an eternal right and wrong. And so both of these can be used in opposing forces, in a pincher attack, attack um, to create spiritual frustration, futility, and ultimately destruction in the believer's heart. Now, uh, here's the, here is the third weapon that the enemy uses against people of faith. Um, and it is, it is somewhat different um, but very biblical. And that is this idea of a spiritual stronghold. Um, We understand how sin thwarts our way and leads us astray. And we understand how being a judge is something we are not good at and unfair as we act in that role. Both of those destroy. Thirdly, the stronghold uh, that wars against the kingdom of of God. I think a fair way to describe a stronghold is to remember that he's not describing, of course, a fortress of some type. He's describing a stronghold in your mind, a way of thinking that is contrary to spiritual truth, a way of thinking that you have arrived at through reasoning, through logic. You have decided this is the way, but there's a problem. Uh, that stronghold you've decided upon uh, is contrary to spiritual truth, contrary to uh, righteousness of God, contrary to the right type of living for for the believer. Uh, So you could call a spiritual stronghold any type of a, a mindset that is contrary to spiritual, biblical, divine truth. I think that would be a fair, easy to understand definition of a spiritual stronghold. Now, uh, spiritual strongholds are what deceive people who are otherwise zealous. There's a way which seemeth right 
to a man, but the end thereof is death. Uh, this past Wednesday, some of you will remember, I, I quoted <clears throat> James or, or uh, Peter, where he said there's two kinds of people who misuse and misunderstand the Scripture. Uh, there's the ignorant, they don't know better, and there's the unstable. The unstable are the people who need to believe it a certain way so they can make themselves feel safe or strong or stable. And they both of these types will misuse the Scripture to their own destruction. Um, these are strongholds. When we misunderstand something about the kingdom of God, we fundamentally misunderstand and we promote our view of it because it, it solves something within us. This isn't us submitting ourselves to the, the word of God, submitting ourselves to a divine truth and order. This is us projecting what we would think is the right path, a way that seems right, but <clears throat> the end thereof is, is uh, death. Now, how is this manifest in our life, a stronghold manifest in our life? Um, let me give you a few things that I think uh, or uh, that could help you understand this. Spiritual strongholds can, can be manifest when something that you say you believe contradicts with something that you do in your life as a, a regular uh, style of living. So if there's, if there's some uh, so-called way you have settled upon of, of, of serving God, and yet it is contrary to what you say you do. Um, this is the path of the hypocrite, and it is actually an easier path than the sinner. The easiest path of rebellion against God is not sin. The way of the transgressor is hard. The easiest path, contrary to God, is the path of the hypocrite. We all of us are, are, are tempted by this, and it's not just, you know, the new believer. doesn't matter how long you or I have been serving the Lord. We are daily tempted to the path of the, the hypocrite. This is the path of the Pharisee, where you have a form of godliness that makes you feel like, yeah, we're getting it right. We have to be the people of God. Just look at what we all, how, how good our lives are, but in our hearts... Um, we're pursuing our way. We're, we're not really submitted to the, the hand of God. That is a spiritual stronghold. And it is hard to break that. It is hard. It goes against our own senses of security and our own reassurance. And I'll give you another example. When you're tempted to fear men rather than God, that's a stronghold. Um, when you are you are bound by duty and obligation that does not reflect worship and praise in your life. That's a stronghold. You're doing these things. They are formative to you. But they're not really about worship. They're not really about the pursuit of an individual relationship with God. The pursuit of the presence of God. The pursuit of pleasing God. These are spiritual strongholds. Paul will say to again to the church at Corinth, Every high thing that exalteth, it, exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, these are strongholds in, in, our, in our spiritual life and walk. Another example of a stronghold will be the ideas that are generational. Every generation uh, comes with formative elements, uh, whether it's the boomers with their um, you know, philosophical outrages and excesses of the 60s and early 70s, uh, whether it is us Xers uh, with our cynical practicality uh, or whether it is the millennials, 
you know, coming to the political table, so to speak. Um, every generation has its strongholds. And every generation is tempted to live by those rather than by uh, the word, the word of God. Let me give you some other examples. Um, when you can't get over a past hurt, this is very common. Somebody was hurt in the church and they can't get over it, and so they're going to blame God. That hurt is a stronghold in in their life. Um, when individuals um, cannot overcome. Um, uh, a sin uh, that is plaguing them. It's they just they it's they cannot overcome it. This is a type of spiritual stronghold in their in their life. Strongholds are meant to be uh, pulled down. They're meant to be destroyed. Strongholds uh, are something over which you you don't. The scripture does not direct us to coexist with strongholds. We pull down those strongholds, and this is the real work. In, in, in my in my opinion, this is the real wor- the real work of uh, spiritual warfare. Now, why do I say that? Because there's a tendency for us to think in terms of spiritual warfare as though our job is de- is to defeat um, the works of iniquity in our city in our time. Uh, we're going to defeat the devil. I, I, honestly, just to be full disclosure here, the devil's defeated. We, we don't defeat the devil. The devil's defeated. We resist the devil. We rebuke the devil. But through Jesus Christ, Satan is defeated. Wherever you are, maybe you can give me a big amen. <laughs> Satan has been defeated. It's the strongholds, wrong ideas, carnal philosophies, attitudes and opinions of humankind. These have to be warred against. And this is, in my opinion, the real spiritual battle that happens for us to cease being the old version of ourselves and begin to walk in faith and spiritual authority. This is the battle. And let me read to you what James wrote concerning this very issue. Chapter 4, verse number 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. He's talking about spiritual battle. What's the first thing he, mission, he, men, he mentions? Submission. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to hev- heaviness. All of this is principles of repentance. This whole passage here, be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to hate. That's all true repentance. True repentance. And humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. Now that is just as much about real spiritual warfare as the idea of dramatical description of spiritual warfare. Because if we fight through our strongholds, where do we arrive? We arrive in a place of faith. Do you see? If we do not fight through our strongholds, what do we not arrive at? A place of faith. We're stuck in fear, doubt, confusion. But if you fight through your strongholds and you arrive at a place of faith, what are you then able to do? You're able to speak to the mountains in your life. 
spiritual warfare. You're able to say, be removed, be cast into the sea, spiritual warfare. This battle against strongholds in many ways, this battle against sin, this battle against um, the accuser where we are tempted to judge, this battle against strongholds, all is expressed as we as individuals are able to overcome these things and step into a spiritual role of one who can proclaim, one who can say and speak, one who can stand as the mouthpiece of God with prophetic authority and represent another kingdom to this world. These battles, sin, judgment or being tempted to be the accuser by the accuser <laughs> and strongholds all work to keep us out of our spiritual role. But if we defeat these things, we step into a spiritual role and then having been filled with anointing and having been given the authority, we step into authority and we speak to the mountains in our life. Lord Jesus, help us as a church to understand the practical value of fighting against the strongholds in our life and help us to understand the spiritual necessity of fighting against the strongholds in our life. We repent for the sin in our life. We repent for uh, speaking as the accuser and joining in the path of the accuser. And Lord Jesus, we commit ourselves to pulling down the strongholds in our life that having fought through all of these things, we can step into a realm of faith and see spiritual battles won, see spiritual deliverance given, make a difference in the city because that is our divinely given mission. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.